Thanks very much for reading that for us. As Daphne said, that must be one of the most familiar passages in the New Testament. Don't want to pretend that I've found anything in it you haven't noticed before, but just encourage you to reflect on it for two reasons. First of all, it's good to just feel again what God wants us to be doing with our neighbours. But in a healing service like this, for many of us who are very busy, who are keen to be neighbours to other people, it's good to see this from the other way as well. If this is an illustration of what God is like and what God's heart is like, he is a neighbour to us. And so we are interested to read and to hear and to understand how it is that God receives us this evening as his neighbours. I have to say I'm not particularly good with neighbours. Some of you might be great with neighbours. Some of my people um, in the West Penwith, beyond Penzance, in the no man's land between Penzance and Land's End, when I speak to them about their neighbours, they may be several miles away to the next neighbour, barring cattle and sheep. It's such a big open space. I say, where is your neighbour? You can't see them with the naked eye. And uh, I, I'm not always good with people who live near me. When I, when I was living in, ministering in London, we went to a, a circuit youth rally. And there was a lot of young people there, and I'm, I'm a young minister, and I'm feeling encouraged by them all being there. There's this very bouncy girl there with frizzy hair, and I said, and, hello, my dear, and where do you live? And she said, next door to you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a good thing to remember that sometimes our neighbours actually do live next door to us. We're always being told about all varieties of neighbours. And certainly it's good some of you have neighbours who live next door to you or on the floor above, but they are of all sorts. People with whom we come into contact in the week, in our jobs, in the park, in the, in the shops or whatever it is. People who are parts of our extended families. But also people we only meet on the media that we can pray for and have attitudes towards. Our whole attitude towards um, refugees and those say all those um, young men behind all those fences at Calais are neighbours also terrorists are neighbours also people who give us a hard time for being Christians are neighbours and also lots of really nice people who don't know Jesus they're neighbours as well the man starts off by saying to Jesus, so who are my neighbours? But actually Jesus says, well, I want to teach you about how to be a good neighbour. The story is in the end about neighbourliness. But there are plenty of targets for our neighbourliness. just want to give you three things because this evening because I, I've tended to preach sermons or listen to sermons of two sorts on this on this on this passage the one sort is very scholarly I'm not going to do that very scholarly and it tells you that we need to be neighbours in a kind of 
deep theologically religious way. And we have to have various checks and balances. And of course, there's people who are a problem. We need to deal with the police and legal things. And we need to be worried about dependency. And we need to worry about all sorts of problems and this and this and this and this. So we need to find a very suitable neighbor. We all go home feeling that we have a new idea about neighbors and we're not going to do it. On the other hand, there's, there's the emotional sermon that says we've got to follow in Jesus' footsteps. We have to make neighbors of everyone. We need to throw everything at them. We need to sacrifice everything. We need to lay down our lives for them. And we are deeply moved and very troubled. And also, we don't go home and do that either because that seems too hard. This is just, just three things, like a toolkit really, for neighborliness from this passage. First of all, we read that from this, this man, we read that he looked at this man in the road where he'd been ambushed and beaten up and left for dead, everything having been stolen from him, and he had pity on him. This is not, pity is sometimes a weak word in English. It's not a weak word in Greek. It's a strong word. The whole story doesn't work unless this man has a heart for the man lying on the road. This is not a program, it's not a duty. He has pity on him. And I fail, and I would suggest to you that you fail as, as neighbors because we often don't have a heart for it. And we need the Lord's heart. Create in me a new heart, O oh God. It's a non-starter unless we have a degree of pity and love and care, which I don't always have. It's not easy. Some people are much easier to love than others, aren't they? We don't all say, oh, good oh, another neighbor. But the fact is that if we don't like people, or if we don't like their needs, or we turn away, or we like those other two people who were religious leaders, who went by on the other side, this is not good news. Jesus does not do that sort of thing. Neither, however, can we just do it from a matter of duty. Well, you can, but that's not what Jesus is after. Sort of person who's on a rotor. I don't know how many rotors you've got here, but you can be on a church rotor and you can say, and I can say to somebody on my rotor, could you take the, the church flowers round to Mrs. Smith this evening? Oh, yes, I can do that. And you see them next week and you say, so how was Mrs. Smith? I don't know. I didn't ask her. I just took the flowers. That's what you asked me to do. She's got the flowers, but it's not neighborly. It's just a, it could be interflora. We need a heart for it. And the government's always trying to get us to be good neighbors by using tax law and various other inducements and this and this and this and this. And it doesn't work if you haven't got a heart for it. So perhaps we should be more sympathetic. Now, to be sympathetic is to feel for somebody. I am so sorry that this has happened to you. We often rightly feel that, and that's a good thing. But the trouble with sympathy is although you might, your heart might go out to somebody, you're still thinking, are they a worthy target? Are they, is it their own fault? What can I do? And this, and this, and this. It's only halfway there. In this story, we do not have sympathy. We have empathy. In empathy, you don't feel for someone. You feel with someone. Not in a silly way. 
This Samaritan has not been beaten up and robbed. He's not pretending that, but he feels the hurt of this man. He feels his sadness. He feels his brokenness. He has real pity on him, and he works from feeling with him. You can see this is in the heart of Jesus, isn't it? I mean, look at some other examples where where he feeds the 5,000 and the disciples in a really meaningful way and feeling way say, they're all hungry, they're all tired, they're all cold, they're all in the wilderness. And as disciples, we suggest that you send them all home. Great neighborliness there. But Jesus feels the hunger of the people. He's probably hungry himself. Jesus, no, no, no. you feed them. I feel for these people. I feel with them. We're all hungry. We've only got five loaves and two fishes. That's not going to even do for 12 of us. Leave alone 5,000 of them. I feel with them. You remember Zacchaeus up the tree, that tax collector, very rich, very unpopular, very unhappy with himself. You feel, when Jesus stops on the road to Jericho, and he, when he's looking, going through Jericho, he looks up at the, I mean, this tree, He feels for him. He doesn't say, you are a terrible man. I don't like tax collectors. He doesn't, he feels for him. I think we need to feel for one another. We need the Holy Spirit to say, so how does this person feel? And in my own authentic way, I can identify with them. I can at least get a hint of how they feel. Sometimes you won't know how people feel. You know, when I visited people, uh, the ladies in a gynecological unit, I don't say I know how you feel, because I don't. But I seek to feel with them if they are in pain or angst or whatever. We need to start there. Uh, but we also need to hear that. Because many of you will have experienced both inside the church and outside of the church and certainly in the world at large. Either antipathy, people don't like you. They don't want to be your neighbor. Keep away. Or you've experienced sympathy, which says, here's a bit of help. Here's some flowers. Here's five minutes of my time. The Lord bless you. That's all I can manage at the moment. Just hear this. It's not bad, that, but it's only a start. God is not like that. Jesus says to you this evening, whoever you are, and I have the great advantage, I don't know any of you really. He says to all of you, whoever you are, I feel with you. That's why God sends Jesus, so that God does not observe us from heaven through binoculars. He says, I feel with you. And you might find that this evening very difficult to understand, to take on board. I would, I do sometimes, because I have special ministerial problems and I thought God is not going to understand that, but he does. Sees right through us. Doesn't reject us any more than he rejected those other people around that were a motley bunch. This evening, he takes pity on us because he feels with you. Second thing in this story is that um, (laughs) this Samaritan gets in, grips the situation, and changes the situation. Up till now, there's been a problem. 
And you can see the problem unraveling. The man is going along the road. He's set upon by thieves. They beat him. They, they steal everything. They rip him, leave him past dead in the road, in the dust, in the dirt, with the blood, with the heat. It's all going downhill. It's a really bad narrative from here on. But when he intervenes, he changes the narrative. There is an action here. There is a real decision this is not going to be like this. We're going in the other direction. And at the beginning, it's not all fixed. He's still covered in blood. He's still ill. He's still this. He's still that. But we make a start. And whereas the man's life has been going like this, then when there is the intervention from the neighborly Samaritan, it begins to go like this. I don't think he had a complete plan for him straight off. He didn't know how ill he was going to be. But he begins, he picks him up, he puts him on the donkey, gives him a bit of first aid, looks him over, takes him to the inn, puts him in the inn, stays with him all night, see how he is, finances his aftercare before he moves on. There's a different narrative. The story of his life changes, you know? With Jesus, with the feeding of the 5,000, you see, they're all hungry, so sit them all down, that's a start. Let's get the... what bread we've got and the fish we've got and let's let's multiply that now let's feed them all and then they all go home well fed it's a different end to the day and they say Zacchaeus oh we're in a mess here come down I'm going to come to your place for tea this is a very different day He's first embarrassed and worried and then overjoyed and then there's the big feast and then he says, I realize in the face of the the love of Jesus that I've been a bad man. I'm going to give the money back and I'm going to live a different way. What a day that is from the day it was going to be. There is a change of narrative, a change of story from here to here. And I believe that... um, whether we as individuals or as churches are going to be neighbors, we have to have a degree of taking the initiative, of gripping situations, and of changing people's story. I was lonely, but I'm not lonely now. This was a bad day, a bad morning, but it's been a good afternoon. (laughs) Perhaps your week last week was a bad week. There is a change of narrative in the air. And so with, with, with Jesus, when he comes, he's, he doesn't say, I want you to come this evening to communion or with prayer. I want to empathize with you. And having empathized with you, I hope you feel better when you go home. He said, let's change this. Perhaps there is a healing. Perhaps there's a relationship. Perhaps there's a, a financial issue. Perhaps there's whatever. I don't know. And I'm not one of these, it's all different people. A good Samaritan is not. He doesn't say get up. He's, it's all that business, but there's a change of story. And if you are suspicious of other people changing your story, when it comes to Jesus, he knows you better than you know yourself. To empathize with somebody is not to patronize them or be prescriptive. It is to give them what they need, even when they didn't know they needed it. Finally, and thirdly, you've got to get involved. This is the worst bit. Everybody tells you not to get involved. Don't get involved. Don't get bogged down. Don't get into anything you haven't got an exit strategy for. You'll become part of the problem. I know. I've learned that over the years. 
But you see, this man is not like this. This parable, this good Samaritan, you can imagine everybody looking at him, go, don't go over there, mate. You know, you don't know the story, you don't know the history, you don't know who that is. You know, and you don't know if the robbers are still around. Keep moving. But he doesn't. He gets involved. Now, I've been involved in some road accidents, not to cause them, but to clear up after them. And I know to some extent what it's like to have people who are limp and semi-conscious and covered in blood. You, you can't help them without getting messy. And anybody's trying to lift a limp body onto anything, I've never tried to do it onto a donkey. I think it's a nightmare. And you've just got to feel him sort of gripping this, getting him up on the donkey. You see, he's getting, he's getting involved here. Really involved. And now he's on his donkey. How is he going to get rid of him? Where are we going to go now? Where was this Samaritan going before he met the man? He's got a timetable perhaps he's visiting somebody perhaps he's got business this is all getting out of hand he's not thought this through this is not sustainable I can hear it all we haven't got time for all this then he takes him to the inn and we think oh my gosh we're going to stop at the inn now and he's not very well we're going to stay all night till tomorrow and then there's money involved which is even worse and you think Jesus with the the 5,000 he says to the disciples, we'll feed them. Oh, and they think, oh, we thought they were going to go home. Make them all sit down. Where is this going, for goodness sake? We're going to have a picnic with no food. And then he feeds them and they say, oh, they're going to want an evening sermon now. We're never going to get home. He's getting bogged down. And goodness knows with Zacchaeus, once he's got down from the tree, we're supposed to be on the road to Jerusalem and saving the world. This one man who nobody likes, now we're going to his house and yes, we're all becoming as unpopular as he is. And we're going to have a meal. How long is that going to take? Where is this going? And yet that is the way it is. And we need to be encouraged to say that if we are going to be neighbours, we will need to get involved. And I say that because it's biblical, not because it appeals to me. We need to get involved. We need to get into a position where we are part of the situation. And where appropriate, we may need to risk getting bogged down. I know there's all sorts of legal issues and other issues, but... Within the broad context, we need to be able to follow this kind of pattern. Because that's what Jesus does with us. But I would just say in passing, at the end of this passage, to be bogged down, to be involved, is not a recipe for going on forever. The world often feels that, but that's because people are just giving palliative care. You see... This man pays the innkeeper to look after him and then goes on his way. Jesus feeds the 5,000 and in Mark's gospel sends the disciples off in a boat and all the rest he sent home. And when we get to the end of the Zacchaeus business and the meal's over and Zacchaeus has a new man, Jesus leaves Zacchaeus and goes on towards Jerusalem as far as we know without Zacchaeus. 
In other words, in the gospel of Jesus, where we are neighbors, there is a resolution. Things change. People get saved. People get healed. People get reformed. Things change. It's not just let's get bogged down so we can be miserable forever. There is resurrection in the gospel. Now, the man might need some more help further along, but usually our neighborliness takes slices of people's lives and perhaps it is resolved. They are better. They do come to know Jesus or perhaps they're passed on to somebody else for the next phase because the gospel has resolution. Things change. We need to get involved. But this evening I just finished by saying this is exactly what Jesus is like with us. If Jesus is not, had not many years ago got bogged down in my life, I would not be here. If he was a hit and run merchant, I wouldn't be here. And those of you who are Christians who have been through the mill like me will know that Jesus has got bogged down with you and stuck with you and got you onto donkeys and goodness knows what. That's what he's like with you. And if you hear this evening say, nobody's ever given me any time before. Nobody's ever accepted me unconditionally. Nobody's ever given me more than five minutes when they knew me. That's not true with Jesus tonight. Jesus has the time and will get involved. That's what he's like. So I would encourage you, all of you, within the church and within your lives this week, to seek to have the mind of God when it comes to neighborliness. Don't try the world. Try somebody straightforward. Do a bit of neighborliness. Make a start on it. Yeah? Have a heart. Say, Lord, give me a heart for this person. Melt my heart for them. How could I make a difference and change their narrative so that the graph goes up? And help me in faith to get a bit involved and a bit bogged down and to risk it because I know that you'll get me and them through to something else. But as you come tonight, think the same things of Jesus. He has a heart for you like no one else does. He feels with you this evening as you come to communion and if you like to come for prayer. He has a narrative which you may not know. You think, I don't know where this is going. But he will have a narrative for good. To change things for good for you. He will intervene. And he will get bogged down with you. And involved with you. And bring you through.